Well, I feel like we've already had an awesome day. We're only halfway through it. Isn't God good? He is so faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've already begun in all of our hearts today. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Thank you that you started something in each of us that you promised to complete. Thank you that the Holy Spirit resides in each of us that that have prayed to receive the Spirit of God. You reside in us, and you're the one that's working. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us. Thank you, Lord, that none of us can boast. Lord, every one of us has come completely self-centered, completely sinful. And you, when we turn to you, have saved us from our own destructive ways, from our own selfishness, our own rationalizations. And you've allowed us to come into the kingdom, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And so, Lord, I thank you that you've forgiven us. I want to ask that this word would be infused by your Holy Spirit so that it won't just be some guy talking about ideas, but rather, Lord, let me co-labor with you, Holy Spirit. As I preach your word, confirm it with signs and wonders. Confirm it with transformed lives. Confirm it with conviction of sin. Confirm it with repentance. Confirm it with sorrow that leads to repentance. And then confirm it not only with repentance from sin, but Lord, confirm it with repentance unto the kingdom of heaven. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come in greater measure right now. You're already here. You've already moved. You've already come in every saint. You said we're the temple of God, and each of us carries in us you. So you're here, but I'm asking that you would stretch out. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right there, Jesus says, not all paths lead to God. I just heard someone say, all paths do lead to God. That is true. But only Jesus is going to get you past the Father because he's a righteous judge. And Jesus said, no one makes it into the kingdom of heaven except through me. In that moment, Jesus just said, all paths 
do not lead to eternal life. Not I, not pastors, not religion, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes on to say, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Why? Because Jesus, I, Jesus speaking, I, Jesus, am the way and the truth and the life. And if you know me, then you know the father. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus is saying, all authority is delegated. Jesus is identifying that he has come to demonstrate the Father's heart. And the way that we know that the Father is with Jesus is because Jesus did miracles. The greatest miracle of all is when someone is born again. It's even greater than having a limb grow out because it's your whole body growing out. It's someone going from being completely self-centered and self-righteous and self-justifying into becoming someone who is selfless. Unto the point of dying to our own right to choose how we will live, where we will live, what we will do, what we will, who we will be with, what we will say. Literally to the point of death. It's quite a miracle, isn't it? To be born again. Nicodemus one of the teachers of Israel came to Jesus secretly and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, no one can even see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And Nicodemus says, how can this be? Can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't even understand these things? No, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. This body will be redeemed. But in order for this body to be redeemed, I must die and be born again. And that begins the process of this body becoming sanctified. It's a process. The final part of me that will actually completely die, see, is this body. But when I was baptized, I went under the water, which represents death, and my spirit, man, the spirit of Joshua, died that day because I said, I want to die to my sin. I want to die to the infection of selfishness that reigns in my heart. I'm dying to the right to define good and evil for my own life, and I'm saying the Father is the one with all authority. And Jesus Christ has said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so I am choosing to believe on him, on the name of Jesus Christ, who came and said, there is no other way to heaven, to the kingdom of heaven, except through the Son, 
And more importantly, there's no way to the Father. Because you know what? The kingdom of heaven is nothing without the king, isn't it? So the Father. And so when I said I will become a follower of God, it wasn't enough to simply pray a prayer, although the prayer is an important part. It's the beginning. But then I chose to die. Die to my rights. Die to my preferences. But most importantly, to die to my sin nature. To die to the lordship of my own life. And when I was baptized, when I died, I died with Christ. Christ died once for all. He went to the cross and created justice so that God could forgive us. The question is not, how could a good God send people to hell? The question is, how could a good God let sinners go to heaven? It's not, how can a loving God allow people to go to hell for their choices and decisions? No, it's how can a loving God let guilty, selfish, self-justifying, self-righteous, self-defining punks like us go to heaven? That's the question. Why would Jesus, who took the the nails of our self-righteousness... And our great desire to reign on this earth without him, as we drove them into his hands and his wrists, and we whipped him with the repercussions of our selfish decisions to decide how we would live and what we would do and who we would have sex with and when we would do it, what we would drink and how we would drive and how we would spend our money and and how we would do our commerce, who we would enslave and who we wouldn't, and every repercussion came down upon Jesus, who was the only innocent that has ever been born on this earth as a human being. And he took all the punishment, all the just things that should have happened to us, because we're all complicit. And he takes the punishment on himself. And then Father says to him, oh, hey, all those people that crucified you, I was thinking about letting them come and live with us forever. How is that justice? Well, it's only justice if Jesus Christ loves you and wants you to be able to do that. You see, he didn't have to die for you. He wanted to. I'm not saying he was a sadomasochist that he wanted to feel pain. No, he looked at us and he said, oh, they're all ruined. They're all selfish. They're all self-centered. They're all self-righteous. They're all running around chanting, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as that rapist over there. Although I do download and watch images of what he did. But I'm a, other than that, I'm a pretty good person. I'm assuming it was consensual. I didn't realize it was rape. I just enjoyed the fruits of it. Oh, I'm not unjust. I just buy these products and don't really think about that maybe there's a systemic poverty that makes it this inexpensive. But I mean, hey, I'm a pretty good person, though. I can redefine whatever I want. 
It's not hurting anyone else. But is that really true? I think we all know that it's not. The Father said, love me with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in this, you will fulfill everything that I've called you to do. And every single one of us has fallen short of that standard. We just have. But praise be to God who didn't desire justice only, but he desired justice and mercy so that the guilty could go free because he brought justice through his own death and resurrection. So when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, that's what he means. Now, I'm going to continue to read. So Philip says to him, show us the Father. And Jesus, he says to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be able to abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Don't be surprised that the world thinks that we're a bunch of kooks. Don't be surprised that the world thinks that we're intolerant and strange. Don't, think, don't, don't be surprised that the world doesn't really understand what motivates you. Why would you allow yourself to be perceived as narrow-minded and bigoted because you disagree with other people's redefinition of what's right and wrong? It doesn't make any sense to someone who has not received the Spirit of God. The only way that this makes sense is if we've actually received the Spirit of God and we begin to see a higher value from the perspective of the Father who has all authority. And he's a good Father. So the things that he set out, the definitions that he set out, the reality that he set out, there are good things. But the only way that we can stay in contact with the good things of the Father is through the Holy Spirit. It's through receiving the Holy Spirit. It's through dying, giving full lordship to Jesus Christ himself, to being born again and receiving the Holy Spirit. And we must be continually filled with the Holy Spirit or these things just do not make sense. Amen? Now he goes on to say this, the spirit of truth, verse 17, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. How? Through the Holy Spirit. At that, and, and at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Isn't that interesting? How is it that you'll let us see you, Father? How is it that you'll let us know you, but you won't manifest to the world? Now, that question is connected to the fact that the disciples still at this point were wanting Jesus to bring a visible kingdom, an army, bring the angels in, you know, Elijah style, Elisha's style, like, like the days of old, and just wipe out all the other kingdoms and be like, serve you the Lord, or get the sword. Remember? Remember when they went out of a town that had rejected Jesus, and the disciples are like, oh, do you want us to call down fire on the city? And Jesus goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's not how I'm doing it. I'm going to remain invisible, and I'm going to let you be my representatives on earth, and I'm going to manifest myself in you. And others will look at your life, and because of the way you love and the way that you live, they will know that I actually exist. Jesus based his whole reputation on the lifestyle of believers. That's amazing. But he, but he bases that, that on the lifestyle of believers when he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And he goes further to say, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. This is an extraordinarily tall order, isn't it? And Jesus said, the same things that I do, you will also do. And what did Jesus do? Well, he paid his tithes. He loved his neighbor. He lived selflessly. He held back nothing. And he ultimately gave his entire life to redeem that which was lost. And he said, and you will do greater things. Now, none of us are going to die for sin. Obviously, we can't. Why? Because we've all sinned. So our sacrifice stinks, that particular one. That's why it died. But we have been born again. And so now we don't get to define what that life looks like. We must look to Jesus and say, Jesus, how did you live? What did you do? What were your commands? Have you changed your mind? Well, the word says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's not changed his mind. Have you relaxed the standard of righteousness for your followers? No. He said, God is just, and we will all be judged according to our works. I know this is sobering, <laughs> but this is an important word for us. It's an important word for us because he is a good God, and he's proved that he's good, and he's proved that he's not mad. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save it. However, there is a judge, and you will all stand before that judge to give an account for yourself as, as to what you did 
in light of the information you had. Whoever believes in me will be saved, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But it goes on to say, but if you do not believe in him, you're condemned already because you did not receive the Christ that he sent. You see, you're only responsible for the information that you have. All of creation speaks of the glory of God. So everyone, should they reach for God, as it says in Job, God is not far from any of us, so if we should reach for him, we will find him. It says that God came to seek and save that which is lost. All of creation is speaking of the glory of God. So even those who are in a a rainforest right now can begin to say, God, all of creation speaks of you. I must know you. And God will answer that prayer. But they're only responsible up to the level of their understanding. But God goes beyond that and says, but I'm not going to just do it without you because I have commissioned you to be born again and to do the same things that Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He came to seek and save the lost. What's what's the point? (laughs) I think the point's very obvious, isn't it? I cannot change your hearts. I love this tribe. I love this house. I love this city. I love our cities. I love what God's doing. I want us to be a part of that. How much did God hold back? How much are we holding back? Just take a moment and assess it. Close your eyes for a second. The Lord says that your body is a temple. He says, do you not know that you're a temple of the Spirit of God? So your, your body belongs to the Lord, is that correct? All right. So he is the, the Lord of your appetite. Is he the Lord of your sexuality? Is he the Lord of your spiritual discipline, your physical discipline? Is he the Lord of your eyes? What do they look upon? What do they focus on? Is he the Lord of the Sabbath? When do you let this body rest? Does it get to rest once a week? says that the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. Honor me with your first fruits. Bring the whole tithe into the house. Is he the Lord of your money? Is it actually your money? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a a rich man who entrusted money to each of his servants. Whose money was it? And then he came back to demand an account of what they had done with his money. Is the Lord the Lord of your money? Is it your money? Is he the Lord of your occupation? Is he the Lord of your relationship with your spouse, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend? 
Is he the Lord of your schedule? Now it says, little children, do not sin. If you do sin, confess your sins one to another and the Lord will forgive you. And Jesus, when when they brought the adulterous woman to him, they threw her down in front to see if he would condemn her, if he would stone her. And you know that he wrote in the sand. He began to write with his finger. And he said, he who's without sin, throw the first stone. And you guys know the story. One by one, everybody left from the oldest to the youngest. And then he says this to her. Woman, where are those that would condemn you? And she says, they've all left, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. So Jesus is saying to us, neither do I condemn you. But then he says something really vital. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, I've forgiven sin, therefore, do whatever you want and make sure to say a quick prayer before you cack so that I can let you in. He says, go and sin no more. I remember when I was, uh, I think I was about 14, and I, I knew Jesus. I'd prayed a prayer. I talked with the Lord fairly often. Um, but I also liked to drink, and I liked pot, and I loved girls. And I went to a Josh McDowell conference called No Compromise. And Josh McDowell gets up there, and he starts talking about fornication and masturbation and purity and drinking and drugs and the lordship of Jesus Christ and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And I have never, I don't remember a time, honestly, I I cannot remember a time that I was more angry. I was so angry with him. He gets up there and he's like, this is sin. This is compromise. This is self-justification. This is where you are. And God calls you out of it. Don't compromise with these things. And I went back to my hotel room. And there were several kids that were with us. And one of the kids had hacked in. They used to have those little boxes. Remember the boxes back in the day in the hotel room? And he, had, he was kind of a genius. So he had actually hacked in. And so there was a, a porno playing on the on the TV. Mom, did you ever hear this story? And, um, and, uh, and there was a, and somebody had brought some vodka. And so we're at no compromise drinking vodka and watching porn. And I just remember how angry I was with Josh McDowell. You are compromising with sin and God has called you to holiness. And this is sin. The word says, he who knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And here's me, Josh McDowell, judgmental idiot. You don't know the world we live in. You don't understand what we're going through. You know why I was angry? Because I was guilty. I was angry because he was pushing on the very button, I don't know how to land that analogy, he was sticking his finger in my eye because my eye was evil. (laughs) And I was very angry. Get your finger out of my eye and quit reading my list of sins to this whole room. 
They're my favorite ones. And Jesus died so that I could keep doing them. And that's what I believed. Jesus died so I can keep doing this. Grace, baby. God understands it's a phase, man. Things have changed. God's not as hardcore as he used to be. He killed his son so I could do whatever I want. All you judgmental, narrow-minded idiots that want to make it so black and white as though you just obey him. No, you got to figure that out. And I did not repent. I did not repent. And I went home. And what honestly took a repentance for me, you guys know my story. I was almost 16 years old. I was sneaking out of the house. I'm going to get you out of here at 12.15, okay? Um, I was sneaking out of the house at night. The Lord spoke into my heart. He said, Joshua, where are you going? And I said, Lord, I know this is wrong, but I do not feel bad. And I went out, and I had a great time at a party. I drank a bunch of beer and did a lot of laughing, and I snuck back into my house, and I went to sleep, and I, and I had a dream. I dreamt that I had dived off of a huge waterfall, and um, perfect dive. I should have known it was a dream because it was a perfect dive, because I <laughs> dive like a dog into water. So at any rate, it's a perfect one, though. I could feel the, 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 the wind. I could, you know how sometimes you have a dream that you don't know it's a dream? Most times you know it's a dream. Sometimes you don't. I did not know it was a dream. It was so real. About halfway down, I realized the water at the bottom of the waterfall was like this deep. And it was clear that I was going to die. And at the last minute, somehow I flipped my body and I landed on my knees. And because I landed on my knees, I lived. And I came out of the dream and I'm like, <sighs> and I woke my brother up. Ish, you got to hear this dream? I tell him the dream. You know how it is when somebody tells you a dream. You're like, oh, that's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that with me. I just want you guys to know that that's probably my wife's favorite thing in the world. But you should start telling her dreams just for fun. Anyway, so I come out of the dream. I tell him the dream. Three days later, we go rock climbing. We used to rock climb all the time. And I, I, don't, I think I might have shared this story with you, so I'll make it quick. But we're 150 feet up. I'm with my brother, my buddy Jay, and my buddy Michael. We're up Little Rock Canyon. We used to climb, and we, we didn't use ropes or anything like that. I'm up 150 feet. As I step over this one area of about six feet, there's one foothold in between. And, and it's about, so it's about three feet, and then nothing, and then something. And so I stepped off of that, jumped up, and it broke off. Because the genius that I was, I was climbing shale. I feel like there's a lesson in that, too. Anyway. So I told my buddy Jay, don't worry about it. You go down. I'll climb down a different, I'll go up, and I'll climb down a different way. So I continued to climb a little bit long, further. But here's the deal. The, 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 the mountain we were scaling was kind of like this. And then there was a ledge and a cave, and then we went above the cave. And then as you got above the cave, so it's about 75 feet to that ledge, another 75 feet up, and it's kind of going like this. And I'm like here. And so I'm this. And I'm sitting there, and for the first time ever, I'm completely stuck. I'd never been stuck rock climbing. We did it all the time. In fact, I used to scare the bejeebers out of my friends because I was a wild man. I was a great climber. I was still young enough to be completely immortal. And so... <laughs> I'm on this rock, and I realize I'm stuck. And, I, and, I, and we'd been climbing for a while, and I'm sort of, you know, doing this. And the Lord says, Joshua, you're going to fall. And I said, Lord. 
And he said, where you are on this mountain is where you are in life. And you've gone out so far that you're going to fall. And I said, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Because I knew I was going to die. You just, I mean, you know the story, obviously, you know the ending because I'm right here. But at the time, it wasn't so clear. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to make you any promises because I never keep my promises to you. And I didn't. I'd always be like, oh, Lord, help me to stop, you know, looking at porn. If I do it again, give me cancer. I'd like deal with God. Like, get me some kind of scary punishment to keep me from this. It didn't work. Um, so I said, I never keep my promises. But I do ask for your forgiveness and I put my life in your hands. And a few minutes later, my foot slipped and I fell 75 feet and I hit that ledge with my, uh, with my chest and kind of hit it at an angle, glanced off, fell another 75 feet, stuck the landing, which broke my back, completely severed my femur, broke both my wrists, shattered my clavicle, blacked my eye for three months. I lived. Not only did I live, I recovered crazy fast. And everybody's like, you're so lucky, you're so lucky, you're so lucky. I said, I am not lucky, this is God. God saved my life. Now that's what it took for me then to repent. I needed a mountain. I needed a, you know, what is it? Fall on the rock and be broken lest it fall on you and ground you to, grind you to powder. Well, I fell on the rock and was broken, finally. What's my point? That began a surrender. That began a surrender. That was where I finally heard the message, stop compromising and give me your whole life. And that's been a process. My life scripture has been, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. Can I have the worship team come? Um, and we're going to pass out communion today. And we're going to take communion, but we're going to do it kind of special, so hold on to it. We're going to take communion as a family. We're going to take communion as a family. Now, I have some special instructions I'm going to give you when you get it, so just hold on to it. I began to surrender to the Lord. It's his kindness that leads to repentance, but it actually leads to repentance, meaning I have to repent. I can't reserve the right to keep living my life the same way and asking God to bless it. I have to actually die and follow him according to what he has commanded me. And the authority of Scripture, the things that God wrote down, they have not changed. Scripture contains the commandments of God. It, contain, it contains the framework with which we are to serve Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus. And so we cannot come in and opt in and out of what is compromise and what isn't compromise. We don't get to decide that same-sex marriage is okay. Because God said, and Jesus said, in the beginning, they may, were made male and female, and the two become one. So it's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. Jesus said marriage is between a man and a woman. Pop culture doesn't get to change what God will and won't accept. So if you're someone who suffers with same-sex attraction, realize that that's the enemy tempting you and resist it, but know that that is a temptation. It's not a design. You don't get to change it because it's popular the presence of an appetite is not the presence of design. If the presence of an appetite is actually the presence of design, then anyone who wants to sleep with someone else's wife should. Anyone who wants to kill somebody who makes them angry should. Right? Presence of an appetite? 
But Jesus has come and said, if you will be my disciples, you must do what I've commanded you. So I listed just a few things, your body, your money, your time, your eyes, your relationships, your schedule. These all belong to the Lord. And if we will follow him, Jesus says this, you must count the cost. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of my kingdom. The rich man came and said, what must I do? For the rich man, the God of his life at that time was money. God didn't tell everyone to sell everything they owned. He just told that guy to sell everything he owned. For many of you, the idea of tithing is where you stop obeying the Lord. You're like, I'm not giving you 10%. This is my money. I'll do what I want with it. And yet from Abraham until Christ, we're encouraged to bring the first 10% of what we make to the Lord. Even Abel brought his first fruits. That's why he was killed by his brother who didn't bring his first fruits. He brought an offering. Isn't that interesting? He just brought an offering. Some of us are reserving the right to continue to feed secret sins, to continue to be a part-time Christian, to continue to try to define what it is to follow Christ, to continue to walk in unforgiveness towards others, to continue to hold grudges. We all have that area. We all have that thing that the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on right now. And the question is the same one that Jesus asked. Will you take up your cross and come follow me? He who loves me will obey my commands. So today as we prepare to take communion, You decide if you will follow Christ. Will you begin to honor him? If it's, if it's finances for you, are you going to obey him? If it's sexual purity for you, are you going to obey him? If it's leading your family as a righteous man, or if you're a single mom, as a righteous woman, and I, I'm, I'm say, obviously parents, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to single that out, but I feel like there's something specific today that God had for fathers today, and, and, and I'm just gonna say that's true. There, he's touching all these places, but I think there's something specific for fathers today. Will you begin to lead like Christ leads? Will you begin to lead like Christ leads the church? Will you lay your life down? Will you be consistent? Will you honor him with your substance and your time and your sexuality and your heart and your thoughts and your money? Your emotions, will you bring them and lead your family like Christ leads the church? If you're, if you're, if you're a young person and maybe you're thinking like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till later to think about this stuff. Well, don't. Think about it now. It's right now. Don't compromise. Don't wait till you have to fall on the rock. Today is the day. If it's forgiveness, you're nursing a grudge against someone else of the faith. Will you obey? Will you obey his commands? He said, forgive and you will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive, my father will not forgive you. In fact, he'll turn you over to be tortured until you've paid for every last thing that you've done wrong. Or you can forgive them. 
and I'll pay for everything you've done wrong. But there's no middle ground. And so you know your own heart. But I'm asking that today you make a decision. The word says this, as long as it is today, do not harden your heart. That means you may have been running your own life for as long as you've been on this earth. Today, don't harden your heart. Today, make a change. You used to be generous. Something happened. You're not anymore. Today, make a change. You used to forgive people. Somewhere you got offended. Today, make a change. What I want you to do is I want you to meet with your, your families. Some of us have some things to repent to our families about. Some of us as fathers need to repent to our children and say, you know what? I have showed you how to be disconnected. I've showed you how to be a workaholic. I've showed you how to care more about television than one another. I've showed you how to lose my temper. I've showed you how to be semi-committed to gathering together and with the brethren and worshiping, and I'm asking you to forgive me because today I'm going to lead like a follower of Christ. There are mothers that need to repent to their children. There's children that need to repent to their mothers, fathers. There's spouses that need to repent to each other. So I want you to talk to each other. Take, the Holy, take, take a minute and let Holy Spirit search your heart and then repent to each other. There's some husbands that, that need to say, honey, I'm really sorry. You've, you've wanted to tithe, and I haven't had faith for it. And I've told you there won't be enough. And I have kept this family from being engaged in kingdom work. And I'm sorry. So together, we're going to figure this out. There are some that, that you know what it is. You know what it is. There are many of us that our lives revolve around hobbies and we need to lay down at least half of them and start being intentional about preaching the gospel in service and in word. There are those of us that have created our own religion of parachurch ministries and we tithe through ourselves or we tithe to other things or we don't tithe because we're giving the Lord our time. We've justified something. I don't know why the Lord keeps bringing up money today, but it, it must be your no compromise thing because I'm talking a lot about it, but he keeps bringing it up. So maybe that's my finger in your eye. You're like, shut up about money. Remember how mad it used to make you when people would preach about Jesus before you were saved? Shut up about Jesus. And then as soon as you repented, you love it when people talk about Jesus. But you're like, but don't talk about money. <laughs> Go ahead and huddle up with your families. Huddle up with your spouse. Share what you need to share with one another. Repent of what you need to repent of. If you're here by yourself, just do business with Jesus. You're in his family. You're his daughter. You're his son. <laughs> He's with you. Let him search your heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Search us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
I'm going to let you guys administer to yourselves. You're all kings and priests. That's what the word says. So when you're ready, when your heart is clean, when the Holy Spirit has stopped bringing things up for you to obey, then do this in remembrance of him. But he's doing a, he's doing a mighty work. Thank you, Lord. While we were ministering earlier, the Lord spoke something to a wino, and uh, we felt like after we took communion that, that he, he had something to, to pray and to release, and so he's just going to lead us right here for a moment, and then we're going to return to some song and worship. The prayer servant team is going to come up for those of you that may need prayer, and then for those of you that are ready after we've prayed and 
then you can feel free to, to go and follow Christ with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and your soul. Go ahead, Awina. So yesterday, uh, we had a rehearsal here, worship practice, and um, after we were done, uh, kind of kept playing music. And I just took off. I believe I took off in the, he in the heavenly places. And um, I was doing my thing, praying in tongues and all kinds of stuff. And um, I've been always um, asking the Lord for revival in this congregation, in people's hearts, to experience Him in a very um, high level, personally, having that to have that strong relationship with God. And, um, and as I kept praying and asking Him, um, I saw a, a vision of um, lightning striking from the north, south, east, and west. And um, physically, I was in the church. But while I was praying, I could see the church right in front of me. And... Um, the church was on fire. It was amazing. And I couldn't open my eyes. I just, I just kept going. So this morning when we were worshiping, um, the Lord was showing me the hunger of people's hearts. You know who you are. I'm always hungry for the Lord. I always want more. And um, I felt like he was saying, if you have that hunger... That you want him to fill you up with whatever it is. Pastor Josh shared it. You know. Everybody needs more of God. Because where the spirit of God is, there's freedom. Freedom from everything that is in between you and God. So I felt like I, anybody here that has that hunger or wanting to be set free. We can kneel down together and open your arms. And I'm just going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to pray in tongues as well, if you guys don't mind. And I believe that God is going to break the chains. I believe that He's going to set us free. This is a very special Sunday. I don't know if you have noticed. But I saw it coming from a, uh, from a, a long distance. And um, don't go home with burdens. Who wants freedom? You can come up here to the altar or you can stay wherever you are. I'm going to kneel down and just open my arms. And I'm just going to allow him to fill me up <laughs> with who he is. Feel free to pray. I believe God is doing something amazing because He wants us to be free. The worship team is going to continue singing songs or playing whatever they need to to play. Let's just let's just focus on the Lord and just allow Him to dwell within us.
Barayo Mwinyo Beponja Puke in Jokare Punaite Matu Kunanga. has been dealt with on the cross and the heavens are opened and he's letting his glory fall upon each and every one of us because he wants us to be free thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Oh, thank you Jesus. Oh. Oh, thank you Bhana Mukuru. Praise the name of Yere. Oh, praise the name of Yere. Name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hosiana mokombanda mbanda Injoka repuna itemenaria Yesu hallelujah Just be still and know that he's God and he created each and every one of us in this room uniquely very special and made in his own image Everyone is so his eyes. Nobody needs to be felt like you are not important. You are not valuable. Because he's saying his love 
for humanity is unstoppable. Amen. Praise the name of God bless you. What can